Almighty God, we do praise you in this place today. God, we exalt your holy name, and may it be lifted above everything and everyone else, God, because you are our creator, you are worthy of our worship, you're worthy of our praise, God, and so we lift you up today, exalting you among the nations. And Father, may this morning, God, may our eyes be, be focused upon you, may our ears be, be listening for your message, for our hearts, for our lives, and Lord, looking back, God, you are always faithful. You're always there. Your mercies are new every day, God. We just praise you today for that. Father, we thank you today for your word, for the teachings of your word, and your word of, of how it spells out how much you love us and how much you've done for us and how much you're going to do for us. Father, we thank you for that love. Thank you, God, for loving us so much that you sent your one and only Son to die for our sins so that we could have everlasting life. God, he shed his blood on the, on the cross for our sins. You raised him for, to life so that we could have that hope of everlasting life if we put our faith in you. And Father, today we pray that as we are here this morning, God, that that decisions will be made for you, recommitments, rededications, or just to look at our life and maybe see, God, where we're <clears throat> not quite in alignment with your will. Deuteronomy says, Know that the Lord your God is God, that he is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to the thousands of generations. That means on down to us and beyond. Father, we pray that we will be found faithful back to you. And so, Lord, just help us when we fall short. Lord, forgive us when we, when we fail you. Lord, strengthen and empower us to fulfill your will in our life. Minister to us, God, in a way that that only you can. God, bring healing and encouragement to those who need it. Strength and hope. God, let us find safety and, and refuge in your presence. Lord, everyone here today has a need. Everyone here today has brought a burden with them. And so, Father, we pray today that you would meet that need, that you would take care of that need. And Father, as we continue our study in and through Proverbs, we, we pray today, you, you, your word tells us that if we ask for wisdom, you'll be glad to give it to us and give it to us generously. And so, Father, we are asking today for wisdom and for direction for our life so that we might bring you glory and honor in everything that we do. Which in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, I hope you've had a good day in the house of the Lord. And uh, even though it's a little bit rainy, the sun, almighty God, is shining. Amen. And praise God for that. Uh, here, here's a heads up for the men today. Uh, everybody, all the men, pay attention. Wednesday. 
Valentine's Day. Okay? So there you go. You've been fair warned, okay? Uh, uh, and so prepare accordingly. And so with Wednesday being uh, Valentine's Day, it is appropriate that our, that our series in Proverbs lands in chapter 5 because it deals with marriage and faithfulness. Uh, Proverbs 5, five 6, and 7, uh, Solomon offers a, a strong warning against the temptations of the world, the, the, the temptations that will, that will attempt to draw us away from our spouse, attempt to draw us away from the loved one in our life. And so he advises his son to be faithful in his marriage. And then he goes on to explain some of the perils of adultery, things that happen if you fall into that. And so he offers a warning to stay away, to don't go near, but to hear his word of caution. You know, there's a lot of discussion today in the world today about what marriage is and who marriage is for, isn't it? It's, it's everywhere we go, everywhere we, everything we see has some reference to, uh, to marriage and oftentimes not in a, in a godly light. Um, but God designed marriage. And he has clearly defined marriage. Marriage is to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church and is to mirror a covenant relationship between Jesus and his people. He has specifically designed marriage for one man and one woman. And that sexual intimacy that takes place is to be between husband and wife, in the confines of that marriage covenant, in the confines of that marriage relationship. And he goes on to say that, that marriage, when the, when the two get married, they become one. They become one family unit. And oftentimes we see in life where families will, will begin to invade and, and, and try to uh, take more part of their children's affairs than they need to. But God's word says that they become one. They become one family. And Jesus said, and he quotes Genesis chapter 1 and 2 in, in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. He says, haven't you read, Jesus replied, that in the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so I got a little illustration here. If this is a, a husband and a wife, and them coming from their two families, when they get married, God says you're to be one. You're to be glued together as one. And so the husband and wife, they come together as one. The Proverbs warns against what happens if we try to separate that oneness? 
It's warning against adultery and, and breaking that marital promise. In chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, listen to what he says. And he starts off again addressing his son, okay, giving that, that, that fatherly wisdom, that godly wisdom to his child. He says, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ears to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. And so in verse 2 here, he's talking about our lips and he's talking to his son there. But our, our lips are the gatekeepers to the knowledge that we have. It's the gatekeeper of of our thoughts, they determine if our thoughts leave our mind and enter into the world. Our lips determine what we say, don't they? Uh, or if we let those thoughts go out of our mind. And so he then turns to, 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 to verse 3. Solomon pivots and, and moves from his son, who's who he's telling his son to, to guard his lips. He then turns to, to verse 3, and he's talking to the adulterous woman. Or you may see the, the, say the prostitute or uh, the, the, the loose woman, okay? The, the woman that plays around and tries to draw men away from their spouse. It says in verse 3, her lips, her lips, her, her mouth drips with honey. That's a, a very seductive image. And it says that she's, a, she, she, she's basically a, a smooth operator, a, a sweet talker. Her mouth is, is slicker than olive oil. The imagery of honey there tells of her ambiguity. If you think about it, you know, when, when, when you pour honey out, it's not, it's not quite solid, is it? But it's not quite a good liquid either. It doesn't hold its shape and it, it doesn't stay in place. And so its boundaries aren't defined and it represents what's sweet and, and, and what's good. But the thing about it is, it can also be dangerous if too much of it is consumed. You think about, you think about honey laying on a, on a table somewhere and, and the greedy flies get caught up in it, don't they? They get trapped and ensnared and can't get out. Now, have you ever given a, 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 a we, we make honey bread at our house, croissant rolls with honey on the top. You gotta try it if you've never tried it. It's some good stuff. And so the kids get that and they love it and they eat it, but they, they get the honey on their fingers and it, it causes a mess, doesn't it? And it's sticky and stuff starts sticking to them and they start sticking to stuff and it just causes a mess. And think about the 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 honey on this on the lips of this woman. Again, verse 3, it says, For the lips of the adulterous woman drips honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But then look what happens. It looks good. It looks nice. It's very uh, inviting. But verse 4, it says, But in the end, she is as bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. You see, that enticing temptation, it, man, it, it looks good and sweet. But the sweetness soon becomes bitter and the taste, it tastes good at first, but then it turns the stomach sour before it's over. And her, her slippery smoothness soon becomes a sharp, double-edged sword in the mouth. You're beginning to see the, the visual that Solomon is putting in place here. 
It goes on in verse 5 and it says, Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of her life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Listen to the New Living Translation version of that. It says, She leads down to death and hell. For she does not know the path of life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't even realize where it leads. You see, she has no regard for right or wrong and and she's clueless as to where this way of life is headed. She has no clue where she is headed, let alone where she's bringing others to as well. In verse 7 it says, Now then, my son, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Uh, Again, remember the last couple of weeks I've said, you know, Solomon's got this kid's face. Here, listen to me. Here it is again. Listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep a path far from her. Do Do not go near the door of her house. And so Solomon has has shown him where she's leading him and and ultimately where they're going to wind up. And he says, if you go, you know, stay away from her house. Stay away from her. If, if, If you go by her house, you're more tempted to go in. If you don't go by her house, there's no chance of going in. Metaphorically, this, the door of her house or, or her body, once you go into her house of death, there is no turning back. Your action is complete and the price will have to be paid. Then Solomon begins to unpack the consequences of, of, of going the way of adultery, going away of those who, who uh, live a, a sexually immoral life. He says, lest you lose your your honor to others, and your dignity to one who is cruel. Verse 10, Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. In the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and your body are spent. You see, there's a price to be paid for infidelity. There's a price to be paid Your name is going to be uh, run through the mud. Your reputation is going to be lost. It could cost you wealth, health, and integrity through alimony, child support, uh, venereal disease, disrespect. All of that's going to be a millstone around your neck. The price will be paid for infidelity. Remember the the, the two that, that we joined together earlier. What happens when you separate them? What happens when something comes between you and them? What happens when one person tries to leave in adultery? You can get them apart. Somebody's going to be torn up. Somebody's going to be torn apart. Maybe it's, it's, it's a spouse, it's the family, it's the extended family, it's, it's, the, it's the children. 
And you're always going to carry the past with you wherever you go, whatever you get into it. So uh, uh, adultery leads to, to devastation and it destroys trust and destroys families. Because when you tear that which was designed by God apart, it can never be put back together. Yes, we can try to glue it back. And yes, we can glue it back, but, but even if we do, there's still great damage, isn't it? There's still great damage done to the couple, to their relationship. Proverbs 22, uh, 6, verse 32 through 30, 33. It says, But a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. And we're using this from a from a male perspective, but but folks, we can turn the tables on this, and the same is true for for women as well. You will bring shame and brokenness and spiritual death. Verse 12, he says, you will say I hated discipline. And so here Solomon's giving him fair warning of what's going to happen. Everybody probably has been warned of what will happen when you go into adultery, when you go into a moral situation. He says in verse 12, how I hated discipline, my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to the, instru to the instructors. And I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. You see, at some point, you will realize. You'll realize the foolishness and you'll, you'll have to own up to it at some point, folks. You will reap what you sow. Oftentimes, though, we, we, we get so caught up in, in, the, in the new relationship that we don't see that at the moment. It's only sometimes until later that we realize what a foolish mistake we've made, what we had and what is now gone, and what we now have will never be the same as what we had. Verse 15 then begins to pick up. He's been talking about the uh, the oil and the, and the honey and talking about the liquid. And then verse 15, he turns the imagery from, uh, of sexuality uh, from honey to something else. He turns it from doom and gloom to, to joy and fulfillment. And he contrasts the, the death of the adulterous honey to the life-giving well of running water in a marriage. Look at verse 15. He says, drink from your own cistern, running water, from your own well. Should your springs overflow into the streets, your streams of water in the public square, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. Let your springs flow into the streets. This is a sexual metaphor here. But if you think about that and, and, and how precious a commodity water is, especially in the, the dry region of, of Palestine. And he's talking about just letting that water be wasted. 
in, in verse 15, he's talking about a cistern, and it's usually carved out of rock, and it's used to collect rainwater. And here Solomon is saying, unlike, unlike honey, the cistern ha has boundaries and its contents give life. And your marriage, your marriage is like the cistern there. Running water is good, healthy, desirable, and, and life-giving. And the springs of marriage are, are parallel to the life-giving waters of, of the spring waters of creation. Marital intimacy is your source of life and blessing and fulfillment. And in verse 16, he says the, the idea of water flowing into the streets. If you're in such a dry area and you can't find any water and you see water running down the street, my, how, how disastrous that would be to think of that valuable water could be saving lives. And just as disastrous as that is, the tempting and adulterous woman is too. She brings death. You see, in, in verse 17, it says, let, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. That's yourself. Never to let yourself be, be shared with other people. Your marriage bed should never be shared with anybody else. In verse 18 and 19, it says, May your fountain be blessed, and may, re may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. In Song of Solomon, verse, chapter 6, verse 9, the husband is speaking of his wife. and says, my dove, my perfect one, is unique. In essence, to say to your wife, I don't want you to be anybody else. I'm not comparing you to anybody else. I love you for who, for who you are, for you are my wife. You are my loved one, and I cherish you. Okay, so let me put that another way. Guys, how many of you have a, a car that you really like? Or a truck that you really like? That you're proud of? So y'all are too ashamed to admit it, aren't you? Because y'all know where I'm going with this. Because I know. All right. But think about, do you take as good a care of your wife as you do your car? That's what, that's what I'm saying. Okay. How much time and effort and money do you pour into your car or your truck? How much care do you, do you take with it? you? You go to great pains to wash it and wax it and, and clean it and man, shine, them, shine the tires up on them. Change the oil. You, you, you clean the windows. You vacuum it out good. You store it. In the garage or the shed or somewhere. You protect it and, and you bring it off and you, you bring it out and you show it off. Let me ask you this morning, do you, do you treat your wife as good as you do your car or your truck? <laughs> On the flip side, women, do you cherish and respect your husbands? Because you see, 
That's what husbands need, to be respected. So do husbands, do you take care of your wife as good as you do your cars and your trucks, your toys? Because he goes on in verse 20 and he says, Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Look at what you have right here. Look what the Lord has blessed you with. Look at the, the love of your youth right here in your own home. Why be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? Folks, if she's going to cheat, cheat on them with you, she's going to cheat against you with somebody else. And vice versa. You see, unfortunately, the enemy wants to, he wants to bring trouble into marriages, doesn't he? he? He wants the guys looking at the women and, 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 and trying to, to pull them away from their relationship. And you have this woman that's sweet-talking and smooth operator and, and, and trying to move in on him. Solomon says, but look what you have. Somebody that, that deeply loves you. Why be intoxicated with, with somebody else? In James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. In Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21, we're reminded that, you know, so much of, a, of an adulterous situation or at least a relationship is done in secret. There's hiding and manipulating and covering up. And, and man, you, you, it goes on for a while and you think, I've got it. I got my cake and eating it too kind of thing. This is working out okay. Ultimately, it's going to be found out. Let me just tell you. But regardless whether anybody on this earth sees it or knows it or hears about it, God sees it and hears it and knows about it. Amen. Verse 21, it says, For your ways are in full view of the Lord. Nothing done. Everything is laid on the table before God. We can't hide anything from God. It says, He examines all your paths. He knows. He's got a tracker on you, okay? And He knows everywhere you've been and everything you've done. Verse 22, The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. So folks, contrary to popular belief, adultery is a serious business to God. Um, verse 21 and through 23 reminds us that, that God sees everything. He sees everything that's going on behind every closed door. And nothing will go unnoticed and nothing will go unpunished. Malachi. Chapter 2, verse 13 through 16. It says, Another thing you do, 
You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You wipe and wail, or you weep and wail, because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accept them with pleasure from your hands. But why is that? Verse 14, it says, you ask why? It's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. And you've been unfaithful to her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Verse 15, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and in spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Verse 16, the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. You see, when we make that marriage commitment, when we make that marriage prom promise, when we make a, a covenant promise with our, with our wife, it's before God, and we make that promise to God as well. And so breaking that promise is condemned by God. As you see, faithfulness is a cornerstone of a, of a thriving marriage. It requires commitment and trust and, and mutual respect of each other. It brings the, the blessing of fidelity and un, uh, unity and intimacy and God's favor into your marriage. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 celebrates the blessing of marriage and love and fidelity and it says, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. And so to walk in faithfulness with each other means to be on your guard. To guard your heart and your, and your mind in order for, to protect the sanctity of your marriage. The scripture tells us to let the Holy Spirit guide our thoughts and to guide our ways. And, and folks, if we do that, we'll pursue God rather than the desires of our flesh. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage should be honored by all, <clears throat> and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer, listen to this, and all the sexually immoral. Any sex outside of the confines of marriage, God will hold you accountable. Here verse, Proverbs 5, verse 18 and 19 again. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always, and may you ever be intoxicated with her love. In closing, let me share with you as Paul writes to the married couples in Ephesus. He tells the couples to submit to one another out of reverence for God. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Verse 33 of chapter 5. Each one of you, should all, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. That's the charge 
for husband and wife. Folks, when we choose wisdom and and choose to live inside the the guardrails of, of God's ordinance and according to His will, we will find life and joy and pleasure and fulfillment. And that, my friend, is Solomon's ancient wisdom for today's modern marriages. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the ordinance of marriage, for the relationships that come within a marriage. We thank you, Lord, that you have put that in place to allow us to, uh, to see children be born and grandchildren, to see families grow, but, Lord, ultimately to enjoy each other in so many different ways. God, there is a strong warning here for those caught in adultery, for those who are contemplating adultery. God, we also thank you for grace for those who have stepped into these waters. Father, we thank you that forgiveness can be had when true forgiveness is sought and repentance is taken. We thank you for that. Father, may we be reminded of the love of our youth, the love in our life, our husband or our wife, and to treat them, to cherish them, to hold them up, and to take care of them. Lord, hear our prayer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.